Welcome to Simple Theology, a podcast connecting theology with everyday life by examining various doctrines of the Christian faith. I'm Robert Kane, And I'm Rick Romlick. And that's like the first time in a while that I've actually gotten the intro right. Yeah, I'm proud of you. I've been struggling with that. Practice makes perfect. You've been putting on a lot of logging in the hours. Yeah, just practiced yeah. for hours last mm-hmm, night, really. Mm-hmm, Didn't even hang out with you guys. It paid off. Yeah, so Rick, last night, you guys came over. Yeah. And I stayed the night, but where were you coming from? Because this is kind of a unique situation. You got to go to something that most men don't get to go to. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell, tell the people about yes, that. Yeah, so um, my wife's family's in Cincinnati, and <laughs> they don't listen. <laughs> Thanks, Robert, put me in this situation. You're welcome. No, but so we did a, um, my wife went down for her sister's bachelorette party, and um, the, the guys were invited and I got a couple strikes. So, it was great. What are you talking about? What do you mean a couple strikes? You know. You know, of course. Everyone knows. Oh, bowling. Oh, okay. Uh, bowling. Okay, yeah. <laughs> no, so it was... So, um, we went to a bachelorette party. went to a bachelorette party with, like, half the people there were, were guys, which was an interesting... Um, I've never been to now, a bachelorette kind of guys? party. Because guys do show up at bachelorette parties, from what I hear. I mean, what are you saying? What kind of what kind of guys? I mean, were these guys that you knew? Were these no? I, guests mean, I, knew, I knew the groom. Were they good dancers? Is that what it was? Is, <laughs> what kind of, listeners Everyone understand. was um, either related to the bride or close friends with the bride. Okay, okay. So I'll to leave clarify, that. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to Simple Theology, where we talk about Jesus. Yeah, exactly. So I'm glad you got to have that experience. Yeah, so also we just went bowling for like an hour and a half. Yeah, and it, it really, I think I don't even think it was considered a bachelorette party. I think initially it was supposed to be a bachelorette party, and then they just said it was going to be a get together with some lotion dig. Yeah, did go bowling. So. Haven't bowled in probably a couple of years. And how those first two first two strikes felt phenomenal. Mm. Um, don't know what happened after that. Okay, so paint the picture here. Oh, you you're know, bowling. I know what happened. I know what happened. We had to change lanes. Okay, let's paint a little picture here. So you're bowling. Which hold you're on. at a bachelorette party so in Cincinnati. This thing had sixty lanes. Really big bowling alley. Dude, it was huge. Okay, we're back to painting the picture. It's old. Um, okay, old building. Dungy. You're in Cincinnati, and you're you're bowling. You're a little nervous. You've got little the pregame sweats. No, trying I Trying to make I sure you don't make a fool of yourself in front of these these ladies and guys. No, I didn't have any of that. Okay. Well, anyway, you can deny it all you want. You get it's up there, and there's how many people in your lane? I don't know, but they need to stay in their own lane. You didn't know how many people were in your lane? Oh, the people were playing like in, yeah, uh, four of us. Okay, five? so there's, there's four of you. Five. There's five of you? Okay, so even so, it's not too many. Typically, there's like six. Sometimes you you more. go quicker when there's fewer. Exactly. Okay, so there's... And it's you. Are you the only guy? Is there, is there another guy in there with you or what? Chris. Okay, you and Chris. Mm-hmm. I hear he's good. He was decent. Okay, so anyway, you get up. Yeah. First time. Mm-hmm. Got the jitters. You're shaking like a leaf. Not, not at all. You go up. <laughs> you get a strike. Yep. You go up round two. Yeah. Still, I mean, the jitters are, are for the most part gone, <laughs> but you're probably feeling Still a little bit true. more comfortable. <laughs> and you, what did you do? You already said it. You bowled another strike. That's right. So you started of a nine frame, or no, bowling ten. is ten. Ten frame round of bowling. Mm-hmm. Already, one yeah. fifth of your game is yeah. automatic strikes. Yeah. Like, you're starting round, or round three yeah. with two strikes under your belt. Mm-hmm. So you're, like, way ahead. If I get three, it's I'm out. It's probably pretty easy to win at this point. What place did you come in? Third. You came in third? Yeah. I heard you came in last. 
I beat my wife. Candace said you came in last. No, I beat, uh, she beat me. I beat Kylie. I did beat Kylie. Your wife told me that you came in last. Okay, I'm just telling you where I came in. So <laughs> you asked me the question. Did you, did you want my answer or did you want someone else's I wanted answer? the truth, Rick. Well, you're getting it. You don't I need came to save face here. <laughs> came in third. I beat Kylie, um, which she did. A, she put in a good effort. I, like I said, I haven't bowled in years. So um, I enjoy bowling. And it's not uncommon to get a strike from me. I'm never not a consistently good bowler. That's the thing. But I try to keep it straight and um, put a lot of speed on the ball. And sometimes you get a strike because you have extra speed. I heard, I heard Chris does the, the curving he thing. He got a little curve thing, but he's mm. hurting his finger a little bit. So I think it was kind of a flawed. You know, one thing interesting thing about bowling for me, I used to, um, for fun, I started this and I, it was kind of accurate, is I'd go backhand, like underhand it. Oh, yeah. Like you fl- fling it out almost. But you just cannot get the same amount of speed and, and direction. Yeah. So You can't get the same direction? You can't control the direction as well. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I was gonna say I hope you're going the same direction. Accuracy. So it, it was a good time. Uh, bowled, and then we had went to this restaurant, which was a part of the bowling alley. Um, had some good Mexican food. Then um, we came home. Wait, someone's calling me. Okay, well let's try to be a little more professional. Unbelievable, next time. man. So anyway, that was fun. How about you, buddy? What'd you do uh, yesterday? What'd you get into? What did I get into? We're five minutes in this thing, and people know we talked about bowling for five yeah, minutes. I, what did I get into yesterday? Doesn't I hung out with Finley. Oh, we yeah. Had, we had our men's discipleship group in the morning. Mm-hmm. Had some nice pancakes. Um, actually, didn't have any pancakes, but we went to the pancake house, and most other people had pancakes. But what did you have? Great breakfast. I had the meat lover's omelet. What are the pancakes? Um, just trying to be a little bit more. Trying to watch the figure? Health conscious, yeah. Watching my girlish figure. Why is that? Um, because since becoming a dad, mm-hmm. like I didn't work out a ton before. Mm-hmm. I did when I was high school college playing sports and right, whatnot, right, right. but like now I'm just don't have the time I probably do but I just haven't yeah. made it a priority yeah. and so when I gain weight mm-hmm. I typically know it's not good weight mm. so yeah um, I uh, noticed that I gained a couple pounds oh wow Rob so I you know instead of the pancakes I'm gonna get the toast a couple pounds man so, 32 ounces you alright tell, tell, well, go ahead and tell the listeners ask. why it's so important for you you feel why it's so important that you maintain a healthy physique and figure i don't know what you're trying to get at here no, no i think you have some good reasoning for why you're like adamant that you you stay in good shape i really don't know what, what's the reason well what? give it to Did we have a, i mean so i'm healthy oh is that it you sure because you you've laid it out pretty clear to me why you think ha- it's important that you have <laughs> i Robin's like this massive bewildered look i'm so confused is it you, you, are you talking about the lgn the lgn diet <laughs> no, <laughs> no. You already have a kid, so don't worry about that. Exactly. I, I, I don't know uh, what you're trying to get at. This was like I don't know, like a month or two ago. You're you were kind of very convincingly trying to argue that you should be in good shape because you used to be an athlete. Oh, and so there's like this yes. higher standard. Like everyone else, they can get flabby, they can get dead bodies. <laughs> but I used to be an athlete, and so that sounds I have so much to worse than how it actually went. I'm like, okay, well. I'm no, over here like probably a good 15 pounds overweight. No, I'm stop. Just like, so what I was trying to say hmm, my bad. Is, that, is that, okay, so if you look at As like athlete, a athlete, people tip- separate themselves from everyone else in society. <laughs> no, just, it's okay. If you look at like <laughs> typical in your mind's eye what a dad bod looks like, right? That's probably going to be me eventually. However, oh, my goodness. if everyone is at, all, all the guys my age, if we're all right. at that, that dad bod stage, mm-hmm. some of us didn't play sports. Other of us did. Uh-huh. And so you can tell the, the people who 
made the distance from athlete in great condition to dad bod traveled a further distance to get there than those who weren't involved with any sports. So I feel like hopefully I can prolong the dad bod look a little longer than most people. Sounds vain. Simply because I played sports growing up, but that may not be the case. So what's the reason? Like, are you just saying people are more disciplined because they were athletic at one point? So they should be more disciplined in their no, eating? No, I'm just saying and- they have years of like building, not, not necessarily like jacks, but like building muscles for sports being and being health in health. Yeah, being cardio, having cardio and all that. Whatever. Okay. You can tell my, my lack of um, physical exercise is really shining through right now just the way that I talk <laughs> about it. You know the thing that builds your lung capacity? You know, that, I think that's good for uh, your, your, your your ticker, your heart, <laughs> is that what they call it? <laughs> Um, anyway, well, I'm glad you're working on your dad bod. I mean, you're you're keeping away from your dad bod, keeping the athletic figure. I don't so know about that. Like, you know that guy, Rob? I bet you he was an athlete. <laughs> I don't know how many people are saying that, but anyways. They are now. <laughs> anyways, how far into this thing are we? We're a good 10 minutes. Oh, we need to get going. So, Rick. I think they're more interested being, in you and your dad bod theory. You being the king of bowling. <laughs> what are we talking about today? Oh, um, well, I think if you're Put trying it on to, a tee for you. If you're trying to compare me to Christ, the coming king... <laughs> Nope. He bowls a 300. <laughs> <laughs> he is perfect in all ways. Yeah. Uh, which means I'm not the bowling king. No, but we, um, we're, this episode we're talking about Christ as king. Yep. One of his priestly office, we talked about him being the second or last Adam. We talked about him being prophet and priest. And this week we're talking about Christ as king. Uh, this is the one that out of the probably second Adam, priest, prophet, this is the one people resonate the most with. This sounds the most familiar to them. The idea of, of Christ as a king with a kingdom. Um, we'll talk about, I think, the judge, Christ as judge next. And so some of the stuff we're going to say today might sound more familiar, and um, you might be more familiar with just the, the idea of Christ as a king. But we're going to kind of dig into there, talk about some things that um, clarify a few things, maybe point out some things that people have misunderstandings about when it comes to this doctrine. Yeah, so I'm going to read a, a definition here, and it talks in this definition it talks about the munis triplex. Mm, Those are the three again. The three offices of Christ. Really, talk about his office of prophet, priest, and king. Now, we in this series of the offices of Christ have included Christ as second or last Adam and Christ as judge. Mm-hmm. Um, those things, yeah, they're true. He does fulfill those roles. But the, the munis triplex, like the big the big three, so to speak, are him as prophet, priest, and king. So here's the definition. Um, king is one of the three offices of Christ's munis triplex, prophet, mm-hmm. priest, and king. Christ as king designates him as a son of David who sits on an eternal throne, who reigns over all the earth, and who builds the church with the word of his power. Mm. So I think it's interesting that when it talks about um, these different priestly office and the the idea of a king, Jesus as a king, it's good to remember this didn't just kind of pop out of the fact that Jesus showed up and he was super powerful and he you know was able to do miracles and like hey let's 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 make him the king right let's try and take Israel back to a monarchy or a theocracy really and and he can be our king and this is what the people were begged for. Uh, to the prophets, like, give us a king, give us a king. Yeah, like the rest of the nations. Right, help us to be like them. And so, in doing that, he gave them a king, um, several kings, but then there became the line of David. 
And the kings in the line of David eventually ended with Christ, and Christ's rule and reign is eternal. But Psalm 45, verse 6 says, Your throne, O God, is forever. And this is King David writing, And ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. And how this kingdom is established um, on this eternal, this idea of an eternal reign of a king. And his scepter, his rule, his rule and reign is not based on just authority or, or even lineage, but rather his uprightness, that he is holy and perfect and set apart. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and really, to, to better understand what we're talking about when it comes to Christ as king, we have to look at the Old Testament. Like, that's mm-hmm. the only way we can really understand what, how he perfectly fulfills this, is if we see the typological patterns that are in the Old Testament, starting in Genesis. I mean, even even in Genesis, there's a, a promise to the Messiah's kingship where um, Adam loses the the garden, the perfect mm-hmm. place that God has created for his people. And God promised Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 17 and um, verses 6 and 16, and then also in Genesis 35, verse 11, that uh, from them would come kings, uh, and they would be a divinely blessed family. And so mm-hmm. this promise of a king, it continued throughout the first five books of the Bible, which we call the Pentateuch, um, then it especially focuses on the tribe of Judah. So here's something interesting to think about. Tell um, me something interesting to think about. That's why the listeners are tuning in, so they can hear something interesting to think about. Do you think that people who do not have dad bods... Oh my goodness. Do you think they're like, man, I wish I was back in my athletic days, or I don't want to be like a ah. guy who was like not athletic, you know? I don't know. Okay. I have no idea. All right. So what I was going to say, outside of that, <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, let's stay Pe- on topic. People, people view, um, again, we've talked about this before, they can separate the Old Testament and the New Testament in, in ways that are super unhealthy. Like it's two different narratives. Or like, that's how things functioned then, and this is how things function now. And they can do that even with, with God and how he functions, or Christ and his role. And and so they view the kingdom of God as like, okay, now it, it's, it didn't really it didn't exist. Or there, weren't, there wasn't like this kingdom um, until Christ came. Now, there was a shift in the kingdom in, in the sense that there was a theocracy, and it was through the nation of Israel um, that God was kind of fulfilling his his purposes. And the, oops, once those were fulfilled for the nation, he then brought Christ, sent the, the disciples out to the Gentiles, and spread out and, and brought in the era of the church. And so this time of the kingdom has now gone from like this nation state of Israel. And I know I'm probably stepping on some toes for if you're dispensationalist. Disbies. Sorry, Disbies. But the nation of just the nation of Israel, or the, the time, or the, the span for the nation of Israel to the time frame or the span of the, the the church's era to, to advance and fulfill the kingdom through the church. Yeah. Um, so we're, you're talking right there about how um, God's people in the Old Testament were seen through the nation state of Israel. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's rewind just a little bit and talk about some of those things in which we saw in the Old Testament that point to a king. Because what we see is that uh, David, being from the line of Judah, mm-hmm. um, through him, through his line, as you said earlier, that's where Jesus comes from. And so mm-hmm. we are going to see how Jesus would perfectly fulfill all of these Old Testament typologies or all these Old Testament requirements for a king. So I'm, I'm going to read a passage here from the Lexham, um, mm. Lexham Online Bible study. Commentary thing. I always forget the name of it. Old Lexham. 
Lexham Survey of Theology. And guys, if you head over to our website, you can see the the show notes, or if you look in the if you're listening on iTunes or something like that, you can see the link there to episode notes. Um, we will we will link to uh, this this resource in our show notes on our website. So here's what he says. It says, in Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 through 20, it gives stipulations for Israel's king. The book of Judges magnifies the need for a king. Ruth, so what, you, what they're doing is they're just walking right through the Old Testament. Ruth identifies the origin of the Israelite king with Boaz and Bethlehem. And for Samuel reveals the son of Jesse as that king. The book of 2 Samuel later records God's promises to give one of David's sons an eternal throne. Psalms strengthen the Davidic shape of Israel's kingship following the trajectory of that kingship from the history of David to the downfall of David's throne to Yahweh's kingship, one mediated by a greater David. So there's going to be, we saw it comes from the line of Judah, and we saw how it navigates through to David, and then one of David's sons is going to be given an eternal throne, and the Psalms further emphasizes that, and then Mm -hmm. there's going to be Yahweh's kingship, but Yahweh's kingship is going to be mediated by a greater David. Mm. Meaning? Jesus. Jesus. This is where we get... Jesus. Jesus Christ. This is where we get this idea of this... This... um, Let's talk about the kingdom. It's easy to get off when we talk about the modern kingdom or like how does God's Christ's kingdom function today. And so I don't know if you have more to say about the Old Testament. Um, no, I don't think so. But how no, that, no. like, a, a, transferring that now to currently, is Christ's kingdom at work? Are we waiting for it to take place? Has it already happened and it's passed? Is he really the king now? So one of the things that people believe that is an, it's, um, an error is that um, we're waiting for Christ's kingdom p- to begin. And, and once the second advent, once Christ returns, then he will be kind of initiating that second kingdom. And that's um, an error because there will be, depending on your eschatology, there will be um, an establishment of a kingdom. and Christ will be the head over it physically and literally on the earth. However, um, in the spiritual realm, there in the church era, we are... We are the kingdom is advancing, the kingdom is active, and the kingdom is now in Christ is clearly over his kingdom. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing that is not outside of his um, authority or his sovereignty. Yeah, well, I mean, even in the even in the Gospels, we see like in Matthew and Mark that Jesus uh, he comes preaching the kingdom of God, and then mm-hmm. in in Luke and John it introduces the identity of Christ's kingship from the beginning yes. of his life. And so Jesus is saying, like, the kingdom of God is at hand. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's here. Right. But then when he comes back, to, to your point, um, that is when we're going to see this kingdom completely inaugurated. It's not that it's, it's, there aren't um, bits and pieces of mm-hmm. it already breaking through. It's just when he comes back, mm-hmm. it's going to be fully inaugurated. Well, and when we look at, you know, people, people say that, like, hey, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And, and their emphasis is, God's coming quickly, and He will be here to judge. So repent. And so, what it's there's truth that the kingdom of God is at hand, but it's not like it's coming, like a, you know, like a storm's approaching, and we see it in the distance. And so, hey, close the windows, you know, batten down the hatches, get ready. It's rather like it is for right now. It's the authority of God um, in the church to function as the body of Christ to have uh, freedom over sin. To live in such a way that, you know, every every time you you 
deny sin and you choose Christ, that's an advancement of the kingdom. That's that's a display of the kingdom of God. Every time things go against the flow of humanity and are obedient and glorify God, there's a glimpse of the kingdom. You know, so it's it's yeah. training yourself. How do you how do you think about the kingdom of God? How do you look for it in your everyday life? And some people can hype it up like it's this, you know, they almost um, make it like a fairy tale to make it like this ex- sound extra exciting. Like they're motivated by the excitement of the kingdom if it looks as if it's like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or something. You yeah. know what I mean? Rather than saying that it's your everyday obedience, it's the rhythms of life that glorify God. It's being a part of the church, his bride, and functioning well together that you see the advancement and you see the kingdom displayed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's... that's and the, the lights keep going up and down. No, it's the, the clouds. Sun. Yeah, it's the clouds going, yeah. The sun's going up and down. So we're recording in my living room mm. right now because the ladies are out shopping. So we, we were able to bring the recording equipment upstairs. Um, but, but to your point... Um, mm-hmm. Like that—that's what—that's what theologians call the already but not yet. Right. So, like we—we we have already experienced or have the privilege of experiencing glimpses of the kingdom of God, most notably mm-hmm. in the church. Uh, the church is where we are most most notably able to see what it looks like to be a member of the kingdom of God. And, and even the apostles, like they thought that the kingdom was going to come immediately. Mm-hmm. And so when they ask Jesus, like, hey, like, when's this kingdom coming? He, he gave them the command to go into all the nations and to mm-hmm. spread the gospel and to baptize people, make disciples. Like, it wasn't a, yeah, it's going to be here in a week. Mm-hmm. So what you were saying... Right. And put down the hatches. Yeah, like, so get like, ready. Get ready for it. It's, it's here. Like, no, actually, like yeah. it's here, and, thank, and thank go God. invite more people yeah. into it. Um, exactly. But then, even more so, like when it comes to the church, we see Matthew sixteen, we see Matthew eighteen, like where Jesus is giving them the the keys to the kingdom. Mm. Like this is where the kingdom on earth Can is. You flesh that most, a little bit. Keys visibly to the seen. Yeah, keys to the kingdom. So, like Catholics would say, this is where we get the we get the Pope. Mm. Uh, Jesus says. All access. Who, who do people see, say that I am? And so the apostles say, some say Elijah, some say, was it John the Baptist or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, but he said, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, like, you're the Messiah. You're the son of God. And he says, blessed are you, uh, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And, and on, and Peter, uh, which in, in Greek sounds very similar to the word rock, says, and Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against mm-hmm. it and I'll give you the keys. And I, I don't have the verse in front of me, so I'm paraphrasing a lot. But the way Catholics view that is that they end up saying like, okay, everyone descended from Peter, that individual has the keys. Mm-hmm. And so the Pope today is the one who's descended and so therefore he has the keys. So would they, maybe this is it, would they say that literally like Pope Francis is a genetic descendant of Peter? No, I don't think so. Or is a spiritual like headship or something? Yeah, I think they're talking about the office. So like okay. Peter and then the next person who has like the office of like mm-hmm. head apostle or things mm-hmm. like that. That's misspoken, but you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, where was I going with that? Well, just the keys of the kingdom. That one of those yes, things so, is that the Pope And so we, w- we would idea. say that Peter's correct profession, like wherever mm-hmm. the gospel is correctly proclaimed, mm-hmm. Um, as Peter said, it was like he, yeah. he says that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. Where yeah. that is proclaimed, those who were revealed that not by flesh and blood, but by the Father, mm-hmm. like that's where the kingdom is. And so right. we see that the church today, being the people of God, 
are those who have been brought into the kingdom of God, who get to experience the already, but not yet. That Mm -hmm. but not yet part is when Jesus comes back and fully inaugurates Mm -hmm. what we're already experiencing, but on a greater level. And so it's within the church that we should see today the the clearest aspect of what it looks like to be a member of the kingdom of God. And so when he gives them the keys, he's saying, like, if there are those who are participating in a way Mm -hmm. where they claim to be parts of the kingdom, but they actually are not, we see this in Matthew 18, Mm -hmm. they're not living as members of the kingdom, then you have the right to expel them Mm -hmm. through excommunication. Uh, And that has a lot of negative connotations. We could talk about church discipline in another episode, but essentially what it's saying is we no longer affirm this person's statement of faith. It's not that we say, oh, you're never allowed to cross and enter and worship with us again. Um, But it's primarily saying like, hey, we we can no longer affirm your statement of faith because you're not living like someone who has embraced Jesus as their Lord and as their King. Right. As their Savior. Yeah. And so it's this idea that, that the keys of the kingdom... What you're going with there, I think, was with with Christ being like His kingdom is is a quite literal reign, and but it's not necessarily a um, one that you see the borders and you see the flags. But yeah. it's, it is the church. It's a church living out, being obedient, um, advancing towards. It's where every Christ. church that has the Christian flag in it is waving. <laughs> there right? you go. Right. Yes. Right next to the American flag. That's right. Um, <laughs> so it's this idea though that we 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 are a part of a kingdom. In, and our, our our primary allegiance is to the kingdom of God. Yes. Rather than America or Canada or yeah. the European Union. Oh, wait, they're, they're not a country yet. I always get confused. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, do you think anyone from Europe listens to this? No. Yeah, I, I think I've seen the the map of where like downloads are coming from. If you if you listen to this and you live in Europe. Let us know. Let us know. Yeah, shoot us an email. Simpletheologypodcast at gmail.com. We don't have to like, say anything about... You don't, you don't have to ask a question or anything, but it'd be interesting. Or any other part of the world outside of America. Yeah. You got something? Nope. Okay. Let's go to the head hard hands. Mm. Give come, us clean I've heads. Got a, I've got a nice big quote. <laughs> okay. Um, that's... It's by Calvin. And it's, it's really good. But I don't know if it would fit under head, heart, or hands. I'm just going to read, read it now. It. Yeah, I'm just going to read it now. And then you can think about some ways in which we can go from there to head, heart, hands. Okay. So this is John Calvin in his he has systematic a, He's famous cold. for his thermometer. What? Isn't that a thermometer? Are you thinking of Celsius? No, but there's also there's the third measurement increments. It's Calvin. Is it Calvin or Kelvin? Did you not just say the same thing? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like Kelvin, like K-E-L. I could be way off. I'm, I'm going to embarrass they're, myself. They're not looking at talking. the screen reading. Like they can't see what you mean. I don't know. Okay, here's, here's the quote from Calvin in his Institutes. Great book. If you haven't gotten it, pick it up. Take some read through it. Okay, here we go. He says, We have said that we can perceive the force and usefulness of Christ's kingdom only when we recognize it to be spiritual. This is clear enough from the fact that while we must fight throughout life under the cross, our condition is harsh and wretched. What then would it profit us to be gathered under the reign of the heavenly king unless beyond this earthly life we were certain of enjoying its benefits? For this reason, we ought to know that the happiness promised us in Christ does not consist in outward advantages, which is a good word to all the prosperity theology out there. 
Read that again. For this reason, we ought to know that the happiness promised us in Christ does not consist in outward advantages, such as leading a joyous and peaceful life, having rich possessions, being safe from all harm, and abounding with delights, such as the flesh commonly longs for. No, our happiness belongs to the heavenly life. In the world, with in the world, the prosperity and well-being of a people depend partly on an abundance of all good things and domestic peace, partly on strong defenses that protect them from the outside attacks. So he's saying there that uh, in in the world, in our flesh, we enjoy things that bring us peace are, are things that are outward, outward blessings, and then the fact that we're safe from outward threats. He says, in like manner, Christ enriches his people with all things necessary for eternal salvation of souls and fortifies them with courage to stand unconquerable against all the assaults of spiritual enemies. Solid quote. Can you say that again? Can you read that again? But as, as Calvin talks about what it looks like, some of the blessings of Christ's kingly office for mm-hmm. us, he takes the parallel and he says people in the world they enjoy the good things not only because they can enjoy the good things but because they're also safe from outward threats and he says for those who are in christ Mm -hmm. they can enjoy the good thing of of christ and the hope that they have for the kingly life afterwards with him but they also can take refuge knowing Mm -hmm. that it is christ who fortifies them with courage to stand unconquerable Mm -hmm. against all the assaults of spiritual enemies Good so, stuff, Johnny Cal. I'm going to tie that all into your head, heart, and hands piece here because Take it. There's, a, there's an element where we can um, intellectually, with our head, we can acknowledge something to be true. And if we want that to impact our life, our heart, we need to kind of open up the text more, open up our mind more, and kind of dig in and get a better, a more clear picture of what it means. And so for this, what what's it look like that Christ is um, king? That it's not just an office that he holds. It's not just uh, the fact that he is God and sovereign. It's not just that he's coming again and he's going to wage war and and he'll have his earthly kingdom. What's it look like for me right now today that that Christ is king? Hmm. So there's an intellectual kind of work that you have to do there, but there should also also be um, just an affirmation, um, a sense of rest, and, and just understanding, okay, he is king. Like, yes, I'm an American, yes, um, if you're an American, that is, or I belong to this nation, state, or whatever, but my home, so to speak, but where I'm truly a citizen is in the kingdom of God. Yeah. So that's one. And then two, I think with our heart, there's an element of, of just compassion and readiness and willingness to be a part. So what I mean by that is some people, they acknowledge the kingdom of God, or they say it's true, but then their their affections are not stirred for that. They don't get excited by the, the their identity as um, primarily a follower of Christ. Instead, it's other things, and their affections are are picked up by other things rather than being um, a part of this kingdom. And then third, with our actions, with our hands, this should cause us to work as if we're a part of the kingdom because we are. This should should change the way, yes, the way we work at our jobs and stuff, but even like how we view our life and our time on earth and how we view the, the years we're given to advance the kingdom that we have, to advance, um, whether it's discipling our family, reaching out and evangelizing our neighbors, whatever those things are, that we see um, kind of the, almost the fourth dimension of it, 
like we see behind the curtain, the effects, the eternal effects on the kingdom that we make day in and day out by the lifestyle we choose to operate in. So yeah. I think encouraging ourselves to get a better, more clear picture of what this means, that, that, that Jesus is king and that there's a kingdom, understanding how that should stir our affections and, and seeking to be more involved and seeking to um, be obedient in everything we do, that it, it has an effect in that kingdom. Yeah, no, and, and to build off what you're saying, build. There's a Come there's on, a, Bob. There, there's a phrase called uh, lordship salvation, mm-hmm. and most reformed theologians. I mean, I'm pretty sure all reformed theologians embrace this. Most evangelicals embrace this. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there are a few that that don't, and and we heartily embrace it. Um, but heartily, said, heartily embrace it. We heartily embrace it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Again, thank you for that. Um, heartily embrace it. Um, because what it says is that people say you must accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Okay, that becomes so common knowledge and so cl- like cliche mm-hmm. in our Christian atmosphere mm-hmm. that we don't actually think of what that means. Yeah. Like we're accepting Jesus as our Lord, mm-hmm. which is he's our master, he's our king. What he says is the final say. If I don't understand it or don't agree with it, I submit myself to it and ask him for help in understanding those mm-hmm. things, but it doesn't mean I reject it. So he's our Lord and he's our Savior. Yeah. And so you cannot have Christ as your Savior if he is not also your Lord or your yeah. King. Mm-hmm. And so when you're talking about yeah. living as if we are members of this kingdom and seeing everything that we do in that light, like we we have to embrace Jesus truly as King. Like there's going to be things that I don't understand. There's going to be things that I'm like, man, that command is difficult to live yeah. in today's yeah. culture, hmm. but he's my King. Exactly. And so therefore, by God's grace, I'm going to do my best to to have that be true in my life and ask for help understanding and ask for help in doing it. Preach. Preach. Preach it, brother. Cool. What All else right. you got? Is that it? How far Jesus in are we? King. How many minutes? Yeah. 34. All right. Wrap us up. You want me to wrap us up? You got it. Hey, thanks for listening. You got it. If you want to hear more, go to simpletheology.org. I knew you had this. Thank Keep you. Going. Goodbye. <laughs> Is there anything else? Is that it? I, I thought it was really good. Like, I tried to be like, you know, the end of an audible, audible book. It says, um, we have a hope you've enjoyed this oh, audio book. Yeah. <laughs> Which, by uh, the way. Speaking of audible. Speaking of audible. <laughs> we have this thing where if you go to audibletrial.com slash simple theology, you can sign up there to get a free book. I bet you you get Calvin's Institutes. You probably could if you want to listen to those. Institutes. Of the Christian religion by and, John Calvin. Um, so you got that. Plus, we get a little bit of a kickback. And then after your first month of freeness, you're now at like 15 bucks a month. You get a free book every month. Boom. And you get a huge discount on all the other books at audibletrial.com slash simpletheology. But for the things that really matter, just go to simpletheology.org. Love to hear from you guys. Appreciate you guys so much. Reach out to us, simpletheologypodcast at gmail.com. Peace. Peace.